Welcome to the Ditch the Suits podcast, where we get real about the stuff no one in the financial world wants you to know about. Learn how you can better manage your family's wealth while protecting it from financial exploitation and so-called financial advisors. Here's to your financial awakening. Welcome your hosts, Steve Campbell and Travis Moss. Well, welcome to episode one of Ditch the Suits podcast. I'm Steve Campbell here with Travis Moss. Tune in. Today, we want to lay the foundation for what Ditch the Suits is all about. So you as a listener know if this is worth your time. So check it out. So Travis, I think it's really important for us to lay the groundwork for what Ditch the Suits can mean. Maybe somebody is listening to this and they stumbled upon it. Maybe they were looking for something a little bit different intentionally. We want to help them understand why we created this podcast and what Ditch the Suits mean. But to give everybody a frame of reference, Travis and I, along with our business partners, uh, we operate a fee-only financial planning company. So there's no commissions, there's no sales, no products. It's really helping people better improve their lives by giving them real financial advice. And so we've come up with this concept and this vision of Ditch the Suits, but to understand how we got here in 2021, we kind of want to take you back and give you a little bit of the history that all of us have had our journey of ditching the suits and what it means. So Travis, for somebody that's listening, they want different advice from somebody that you know maybe aren't things that they're hearing, help them understand kind of the nature of the industry and kind of where we all came from. So Ditch the Suits is like, it's the impetus behind Seed Planning Group, which is mm-hmm. our firm. Right. Um, I used to have this saying when we first started it, that uh, there's a lot of money to be made telling the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, we wanted to get into the fiduciary space, the, the fee only financial planning space, that type of thing. And, and it seemed like coming from the part of the industry where we came from, it was an uphill battle. Everybody fought us to do that. Why would anybody ever want to pay for advice? People right. just want to be sold things, right? That's the general idea uh, embedded within the financial industry itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and I think it helps to understand where we came from, mm-hmm. understand where we're going with this. Um, because when you, when you first, and I've been in this profession, I've, I've, I've been in finance in some way or another in the sales arena of finance, as far as working with clients and things, uh, going back, you know, a good 15 years now. Um, and I've been in personal finance, so investments and financial planning for 12, 13 of those years. Um, and almost across the board where you start in this profession is as a commission or a small salary, mostly commission type of advisor where you're what they call an asset gatherer. Your job is to go out there, just get all your friends and family and you know, go to social events and schmooze people and get people to come in and buy, frankly, what you don't even understand. Right. Right. And, and actually, when you ask about it, you say, well, what is this? They say, that's not your job. We're the investment people. We being the institutions, you know, so the investment company, we're the, we're the investment people. You're the relationship people. You just go make everybody happy, take them golfing or whatever. And so it's, it's so little time is put into learning about what you're actually selling. And so much time is putting into just selling people on the idea they should come work with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you first start, they, we have a saying, and, and I, I think it resonates with just about anybody who started with it in this profession called fake it till you make it. Because right. you don't really know what you're doing. You don't know what a lot of the products are and a lot of the things that are going on, but you're supposed to from day one because you're on commission or you're, you have some kind of quota for how much business you have to bring in. You have to go and get people signed up. Yep. So fake it till you make it means, hey, go out there, get a suit. Go to JCPenney's, buy the discount suit, get the one with pinstripes because it makes you look like Wall Street and you look smart there. Slick your hair back, you know, um, 
get the white shirt, the blue tie. I mean, that was actually a requirement, white shirt and blue tie. Um, and get a nice car. So when you show up to somebody's house, they think you're successful. And the whole idea was so much of everything is perception. If people think you're successful and if you say the right words, people will be convinced that you're super successful. And if you're successful, I want you to help make me successful. So therefore I'm going to give you, you know, business or my money to handle. And as I started to progress through the industry and be, and actually became successful, one of the things that I realized is it's really easy to tell when somebody's not successful when they're faking it, right? right? So when you when you have some more money, you could go buy a nicer suit. You can tell the person who's who is wearing the cheaper suit, basically. So this idea that you could fake your success to get to success, it's it, that's wrong. It's all hard work. And I think it takes an incredible amount of integrity to make it long lasting. So ditch the suits to me is a concept that came from thinking about as a professional, right? And it's part of the reason we don't, we're not wearing suits. I mean, this is what we wear at work every day, right? I mean, we're wearing a polo or a pullover uh, yep. jeans half the time. If you don't, if you can't believe in me, for the work that I do for you, for the advice that I give you, for the knowledge that I have, for the results that we can create, for the reputation that we built. If if that's not what impresses you, if if all that impresses you is the pinstripe suit and the BMW car, then it's like it's like doing business with a telemarketer, right? You're just starting out a relationship from a lie. And eventually it's going to break down. So our approach has been, you know, there, there's there's a lot of 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 um money to be made in telling the truth, right? There's a lot of business to be done. People are out there looking for an advisor who just wants to tell them how things really are, mm-hmm. right? Don't sugarcoat, help me understand how to get from point A to point B. If I need to buy something great, if I don't need to buy something great, but I just, I need guidance. That guidance should not be about trying to convince you by schmoozing you, right? It should just be pure and straightforward. This is what you get. You want to work with us, great. You don't. Oh, well, and that is kind of like just, it, it's a leading metaphor, really. It's, it's, yes, it's ditch the suits means let's be straightforward and honest and take the sales out of it. Um, but it also means that let's undress the industry a little bit. Let's help people understand that perspective, right? The, the, the financial industry is a gigantic marketing machine. And how do you know what you're going to get out of it versus what somebody else is getting out of it for selling you a piece of that marketing machine? Mm-hmm. So Dish to Suits is also about undressing uh, the the industry itself and helping people understand, you know, look, this is your money. It's your life. Yep. We just want you to help you get more out of it. Yep. And by getting more, how do you get more out of it? First and foremost, you keep more in your pocket. Mm-hmm. I like that. Well, and Ditch the Suits is twofold, right? We have an incredible team of people. Uh, Many of us came from different uh, financial backgrounds at different companies, but had very similar experiences. So this is not to uh, pick apart any one company per se, but an industry that has underserved individuals like you and I, and not really prepared us to really help people, which is our job. So we're speaking from experience of the incredible people that have joined what we've been building here in the culture because they wanted something different. 
different. But Ditch the Suits is also the opposite side of the coin in that there's a lot of prospective clients that we meet with that are also looking for a different experience. So we have ditched the suits as professionals, but they are potentially ditching the suits because they understand what they're getting isn't exactly what they wanted. And they got to believe that there's something out there. And to people that may be uh, tuning in and listening, maybe you operate a business or you do uh, something. It doesn't mean that your entire industry is bad in of itself, but you got into business because you believe there had to be a better way of serving people. So at the end of the day, we on our team, we are a group of disruptors saying that the status quo is not good enough for us. And people come to us because they really want help making sense of things that don't make sense to them, which is their financial lives, getting in order. And we believe that we should not be compensated through sales or commissions or because there is naturally just a benefit to us. But as you said, people are willing to pay for good advice because they want to make sure that they're doing the right things, not only for themselves, their spouses, their business, their investing, their taxes, and all of that. So Ditch the Suits is this concept of, if you're looking for different kinds of advice, a different kind of narrative, take this information and run with it. But we want you to understand why we created this podcast and what you can expect from it. So Travis, let's shift now. Now we've laid the groundwork, right? People know what to expect. They know what ditchings the suits mean. Maybe they're intrigued enough to continue on to this point. Why don't we share about our moment of when we found out we had to ditch the suits? Um, I would I would say I'm thinking, you know, uh, oh, quite a while, over 10 years ago. Um, I mean, C Planning Group took a lot of time to design and kind of get it going. Uh, partly because of, of the dynamic of it being really anti-sales. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, it grows through a lot of organic growth type of thing. Um, and, and we take special interest in the people that we bring into the organization. So, right. uh, so this has been a long time coming, I guess. Um, but uh, when I look at my eye-opening moment, um, I have been getting all kinds of rewards or awards, not rewards, but awards. I guess there's rewards that go with that, but awards within the industry for just being good at attracting people, right? right? Um, to the program. And we went through, we're in upstate New York and we went through the gas lease boom, right? Where all of a sudden um, they were doing the, uh, the, the horizontal, the fracking. Mm-hmm. And uh, you had these farmers that were all of a sudden becoming millionaires overnight or theoretically becoming millionaires overnight. And they had major estate planning issues at that time. Estate taxes were much lower. And so there was a great opportunity to go and educate them on estate planning through seminars and things like that. And we, what happened was we had a lot of farmers that started to come to us and say, Hey, we don't want to buy anything from you, right? We're Mm -hmm. going to spend our money. Um, but we want you to help us with the estate planning and the financial planning and the tax planning and all that kind of stuff. And um, so we went back to the powers of B for the company that we worked for at the time, my group. And we said, hey, look, these people want to pay us uh, by the hour or whatever to get this advice. And they said to us, nah, they don't really want to do that. You, you sell them some life insurance. You sell them some life insurance. If they buy some life insurance, you know, or, or eventually buy some life insurance. We said, look, no, we don't want to sell them life insurance. It's not what they want. They really just want, um, they really just want some guidance. Right. And me being the person that I am, I, when, I, when I'm told no, the first thing I'm going to try to find out is why. Mm-hmm. Right. So I start looking around and I find out that there's this, you know, old whole other half of the industry <laughs> that charges hourly financial planning or flat fees or whatever, just to give advice and don't sell anything. 
And I said, well, geez, that, that seems important to me. Well, so the natural, you know, next step is to kind of rebel against the kind of the Wall Street approach to it, the smooth selling, you know, buy my products. I'll give you some advice off the side of my desk, which means I'm really giving you halfway advice and it's, you have to be concerned that I'm always trying to sell you something to, I'm going to give you advice and you could take it or leave it, but you paid for the advice. So here you go. Um, so that there, there was like this, this, this change that had to happen where I had to rebel against that mindset and really pretty much everything that that mindset represented. So basically I turned around and I said, you know, um, enough with the pinstripe suits and trying to convince people to buy stuff. I need to help people understand what their options are. I want to be able to tell somebody, this is the situation. This is what you need to do. And whether or not you want to do that, it's no skin off my back. I mean, you're paying me to tell you. So you can go do this. It's in your best interest, or you can not do this. And here's the ramifications of that. Um, that's what I wanted to be able to do. Um, and that is contrary to like 80% of the industry. So um, that was the point where I realized, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't going to become, you know, what I wanted to be success wise by just faking it till I make it anymore. Right. Like running around the suit and trying to drive a nicer car. Um, I was, I was pretty much fooling myself. That's not what I wanted. What I really wanted to do was I really wanted to help people. Well, and you know, for me, I, I, I came into the industry in a time where, you know, they're always looking to recruit um, charismatic people um, that can tell a story that can help somebody. And I, I went to school to be a teacher. I mean, I wanted to help kids. I wanted to teach. I wanted to educate. I was the the anti-person you would think getting into the industry. But I thought, you know what, there's an opportunity to maybe help people figure out what is, you know, usually a pain point for a lot of people, which is their money and finance. And when you start in um, a lot of these big companies uh, are very impressive on paper. You know, you go to a lot of big events, you can drink the Kool-Aid really fast. And if you've never been around an industry like that, it's impressive. But what I found is that as quickly as I was brought into the industry, I was on my own just as quickly. A lot of people don't understand that when you work for a big financial firm, uh, the person across the hall from you is actually competition. Um, there is not a lot of collaboration. If somebody else is not a part of your business, even though you may be under the same uh, umbrella of a company, you can't really share ideas and help one another because if a client is working with them, they're not working with you. And what I found is I was trying to understand this industry as quick as possible, not really having a lot of background. And like you said in our first segment, faking it till I make it. And what I saw a lot of was, you know, these firms would have certain things that they would spin as in the best interest of their clients, whether it was, you know, we now are offering the ability to refinance your mortgage, or you can sign up for our company card. And these are all spun as concierge level services for being affiliated with us. But what I found is that the advisors that I was working in the same office with were really only calling their clients because maybe that was the soup du jour of the month that they could be paid for more of. And I heard the phone ringing all day long of calling clients and say, hey, have you ever thought about doing this or that? Not because it was necessarily in the best interest of the client, but because it was an opportunity to pick up the phone and call somebody. And my spider sense went off and I raised a lot of questions as to, you know, it's not that it's unlawful by any means, but it just wasn't helping people. Yeah. And I got to a point where then as, you know, our compensation started to be tied to doing certain things. Uh, again, coming from my background and growing up and my family and the things that I thought about, something wasn't adding up as to, 
you know, I, I'd be going to these networking events in the, the suits that you talked about. And I found that I was defending myself more than I was actually adding value to people's life, especially being, you know, now in my mid thirties, uh, being in this business with you. But when I was starting off, I was in my mid twenties and I was attending events with usually people, uh, older than I was and more experienced as business owners and executive and directors. And then here's this young guy wearing this really nice, well-fit suit. And half the time I walked up to people, they said, are you an attorney? Or they thought they, their spider sense went off because they thought, what, what's the gig? What do you want from me? And even as I began to talk with people that I really believed I could help, I found that I was having to justify my reasoning for being there and having a conversation, you know, versus kind of where we are now and what we've been building. It's a completely different experience when you've removed a lot of that. But when you're in the industry and you don't really have uh, people to talk to as to make sense of these things, and how do you grow a business uh, in an industry, you know, with the ramifications of what we have and these sales quotas and stuff. I just knew that there had to be a better way of doing things, but I didn't know how. And there wasn't a lot within the confines of what I had of people that to where I'd say we are now as a business really wanted to do things differently. And I think it was a series of events that led up to my just being burned out uh, and not wanting to operate in that capacity anymore. Um, because I just didn't feel that we were really adding the value or help that we could be. Well, I, I think that if you um, think back to those days too, one of the things that they tell you when you start in the profession is that you're supposed to have a niche, right? You're mm -hmm. supposed to have something that you individually are really great at, like some type of person, mm -hmm. right? So let's say like business owners that own engineering firms or something, right? Like you, you just make something up basically. And so you're supposed to go out there and you're supposed to market to them. So here you are, you're a kid, you got a suit on, you got a nice car. You're supposed to go out and find business owners. And that's one of the big targets, right, with financial industry, um, partly because they generate, you know, successful businesses can generate a lot of money. And my perspective on this has changed dramatically going from somebody who um, could barely pay myself on commissions to somebody who's got, you know, 25 employees. Um, when you are... Uh, going around and maybe you have an assistant and a little bit of payroll or something. And you're telling a business owner with, you know, a, a you know, a $10 million or $20 million business. Hey, I understand what you're going through. I'm a business owner too. I'm just like you. No, you're not. Are you kidding me? You can't even fake that. That one is a, so insulting now in this role. When, when I have somebody call me up and say, or somebody on LinkedIn that checks and says, oh, I'm a business owner too. I understand what you're going through. Okay, you own a photography company, you know, you have one employee. No, you are a business owner, but you don't know what I'm going through, right? And so, you know, this whole, I, you, you look around and, and, and you know, part of, the, part of the, uh, the podcast, part of our focus is talking about things that we've learned through business, mm -hmm. right? And how that applies to your wealth personally, right? What can you learn from business owners who have been successful and have made wealth, uh, to benefit yourself, whether it, you have a business or whether you have a pile of money or whether you want to have a business or a pile of money, right? How can you take those things and improve your personal situation? So we want to do that, right? And that's the value that we want to bring to this. But it comes with self-reflection and recognizing where you are. And I, I think that that's just a good kind of another analogy of this, you know, fake it to make it kind of, you know, misleadingness, for lack of a better word, that's out there. Um and you know, going through the financial industry, one thing that I realized, um, and it's still kind of a battle, I, I always find it very interesting, 
Um, and I think that, you know, one of the, one of our vendors that we use, they do a lot of industry recognitions for businesses that are doing it right, we'll call it, right? And we're going to mm-hmm. leave them out of it because, you know, marketing and everything like that. But um, out of all the award ceremonies I've ever been to, um, almost none of them ever recognize a business, a financial services practice, right? Like something like Seed Planning Group, where we're a business, we have, you know, we're an independent company, but almost none of them recognize the uh, advisor or the practice as um, for their business success, for building a sustainable long-term business that builds value for their employees and their clients. Everything tends to be focused on production. How many annuities did you sell? How much life insurance did you sell? How many assets did you bring in? All that kind of stuff. But you know, when you're a successful business, and any anybody who's been successful at business knows this, and this is going to resonate to them. It's not the end product that made you successful. It's the process in developing um, and, and executing the production of that product. Right? That's the repeatable part that you can scale. Right. And if you're doing all the little things right you get the numbers you need at the end. Mm-hmm. But you can't go into it just saying, I want the numbers at the end and hope that they're going to be there. You got to go into looking to do the little things right. Right. And in our industry, if you're starting out faking it till you make it, you never learn how to do the little things. You never learn how to build the little things, right? So we, you know, part of that transition, that, that metamorphosis from faking it to actually really being successful was becoming um, obsessed with business itself. Right, the, the the process of execution, and so when you're talking, I know we're going to talk later about f- being a fiduciary and everything. When you're talking about everything that we do, it's all about execution of process. Mm-hmm. Right, that's what happens behind the scenes. What happens in front of the client is the honesty part of it, the integrity part of it. Right. So, Travis, why don't we go ahead and shift? We've kind of talked about our history in the industry and how we got to where we are. But, you know, when we talk about when we had that aha moment, you know, what we did with it. And I think it's helpful to add context to really break down why does anybody seek a financial advisor or want somebody to help them? You know, what are the things that somebody is usually looking for? So, um, There's a real life example, I think, from our clients that come in quite often are maybe they've never worked. They're coming normally from one to two places. Number one, maybe they've never worked with anybody before and they're trying to figure out, is it worth working with a financial advisor, right? So they come in and uh, we go through the whole kind of how we work and how we might be able to help them. Um, The other situation, people looking for a financial advisor are those that uh, have worked with an advisor and they're starting to add up the numbers of what they're paying. And they're saying, I don't know if this is really worth it. I think right. I need a second opinion. Right. And so they're, they're out there kind of poking around trying to figure out, is it just me or does something th- seem off? Right. And so they come in and, and we talk about that, you know, is there something off? Um, now the other part of it, and, and I think the driving kind of theoretical kind of backbone of finding an advisor is risk management. I don't mean risk management, like I don't want to lose as much as my investments, right? Everybody is going to try to talk about that. You know, I'm a, I can, I can save you money when the market drops type of stuff. Right. Um, I mean, risk management from the standpoint of as you accumulate more money, the mistakes you make are more costly, mm-hmm. right? The taxes are higher. Um, screwing up, you know, on your estate plan, you know, can cause real damage to your family. 
those are all risk, right? right? Uh, paying more taxes than you need to is a risk. It's a risk that you don't know what you're doing, or maybe you don't have competent help, right? Um, or maybe you know what you're doing, but you just don't know everything that you could be doing, right? Which is most of the time the, the situation. Most of the time people have enough information to be dangerous, but they don't have other pieces of information that aren't really even in the same field, but they directly impact what they're working on, right? So it's about risk management. It's about, you know, um, I want to be able to retire. Well, what are you saying when I want to be able to retire? You're really saying, I don't want to run out of money. I have to go back to work when I'm 80. That's right. risk. The risk of having to go back to work when I'm 80, right? So it's it's the unknown. It's I've never done this before. I really don't know what I should be aware of. And anybody who hasn't done something before and isn't worried about what they don't know, right? I mean, that's that's where foolishness kind of lies. Right. It's whenever we're working with somebody on a new project or something, they're like, Oh, I'm really nervous about this. This is, this is a stretch for me to, to, I mean, this is, this is going to push me to become better at what I do. That nervousness means that you're aware that you don't know everything. Right. And mm -hmm. that's good. Right. Um, and the fear of underperformance is a, it, that's risk, right? The risk to me personally, if I underperform, what does that mean? Right. Am I going to be embarrassed? Am I going to be judged? Am I, going to have a compensation doc, what, what's going to happen, right? So people looking for financial advisors, I think, are mostly looking for help managing the risk of the stuff that either they don't know even exists or the stuff they see there and they don't know how to put it into context or how to offload it, right? Like if I die, who's going to take care of my family, right? How are they going to pay the bills financially? Well, I can address that risk by buying insurance, putting somebody, you know, putting a trustee in place or, Having a financial advisor that has a financial plan in case, you know, called a survivorship plan in case they die, right? We can we can build the risk management for that. So I think the theory behind why every anybody would be looking for an advisor really is for risk management, you know, mm -hmm. for stuff they don't know. Because if they knew it, they wouldn't need somebody to do it for them unless they right. just wanted somebody to do it because it's a lot of work, which is could be another reason. Right. But in my experience, that's you know, could you learn? Yes, but you'd have to put in 40 hours, probably more than 40 hours a week, because I can tell you, I can't remember the last time I worked 40 hours a week. So maybe 60 to 80 hours a week to really get up to speed with a real qualified advisor. So could you learn it? Yes. Do you want to put that time into it? No. So do you know it? No. So do you want to manage against it? Yes. It's risk mitigation. So it's risk mitigation. Um, and, and for the most part, we're trying to figure out, do I really need one of these so-called financial advisors? Or if I have one, is my my financial advisor, is he really doing you know, what I need him to be doing? Right. So again, both perspectives, if you want to boil it down, are from a perspective of risk management. I'm, I'm paying for something. Am I getting my value for it? Well, and as you, so you go out, right? You set out to either find financial guidance for the first time, or you're, you're intrigued enough to know, should I be getting a second opinion? Are there other professionals that maybe don't charge me as much or maybe provide more recommendations as we go forward? What you're really saying is that you want somebody who is looking out for you in your best interests, right? You would be describing what we in our industry would be calling a fiduciary, a financial professional that is obligated to work in your best interests. The other assumption is that, well, then anybody that calls themselves a financial advisor must work in this capacity, correct? And the answer is no. 
the firm that they work for may be titled a fiduciary, but the individual person uh, may not have to necessarily work in your best interest at all times, maybe at some times, but not at all times. And so again, if every time you have a need come up or you have a concern, it's met with a product on the other end, that is a sales transaction. How do you then become empowered enough to know that when something is being recommended to you, that you know this really is in your best interest, or you're dangerous enough to know what questions to ask so that you don't end up doing something that you're later going to regret only because you didn't know, right? We want to empower you with what to understand. So a lot of what you're seeing today in 2021 is people going to Google and looking up a fiduciary because either they've read in a magazine or they heard on the radio or another podcast, I should be working with a fiduciary. If I've never worked with one, how do I find one? And if I have an advisor, how do I determine that they're actually what the internet is telling me I should have? So then people want to understand, how do I know a true fiduciary when I find one? And I think, Travis, it would be helpful for you to understand and, and help people understand, if you will, what a, what a fiduciary, if what you're saying is you need help with, how do you make sure the person on the opposite end of this thing, this professional that you're hiring, is going to do what it is you need them to do and that they're obligated to do? Um, well, I, one of, one of the things I would say, because, you know, I can say these things and you can jump on here and go, well, that's not how my financial advisor works. And you're just saying that because you guys are, you know, in that business. So obviously you want to cast out, uh, one of my credentials is an accredited investment fiduciary analyst. Um, mm -hmm. so I've actually got the specialized training, um, and certification to be able to do, um, uh, analysis and, uh, certifications of other fiduciaries. So I, I can look at it. I actually have the background and I do it quite often actually um, for clients uh, where I do an assessment on a fiduciary or let's say it's an organization and they have an investment committee and they want to understand how to be a better fiduciary. Um, they'll actually hire us and, and I'll provide that service for them where I go in and help them understand their fiduciary responsibilities and so on and so forth. Or we'll build processes and, and procedures for them and that kind of stuff. Um, so fiduciary, the word fiduciary is something that is like embedded into our culture here, right? It's literally how we do business. Um, now that being said, what you have to understand is most of the time who you deal with as a client in our profession, you are dealing with the representative of the fiduciary. You're not dealing with the fiduciary itself. So for instance, even with our company, I am an investment advisor representative as a professional of the registered investment advisor, which is C Planning Group. C Planning Group is the fiduciary. When you sign a contract with our firm, you sign a contract with C Planning Group. The C Planning Group, as a fiduciary, is going to provide X amount of services with you using any resources we have available. It could be anybody on our team. It's going to help you, right? But we have a responsibility per the client agreement to provide certain fiduciary services. So it's a scope of work type of thing, and it's an agreement type of thing. So that's the same way for anybody at any firm. When you go to them, one of the things that you'll see, and sometimes they even put it on their business card, I've seen it, it'll be registered representative. They're registered representative of a broker dealer. So they are the salesperson, if you will, or the client relationship person of the investment firm. 
or I'm an investment advisor representative. I am a representative of the fiduciary. I'm not the fiduciary myself. Therefore, the scope of work is all that matters because the scope of work says what seed planning group or what my company is allowing me to do as a fiduciary. So whatever I say, whatever I promise means absolutely nothing if it's not in writing, right? right? Because if it's not in writing, my firm didn't agree to do it, right? It's part of that sales process because again, my job is to go out there and manage that relationship with the firm in most cases. Now that's, I say my job, I'm, I'm talking my, about myself metaphorically, like as an advisor in the industry, right? Here, because of the way we work, yes, I might actually be providing the, the fiduciary advice. I'm doing so on behalf of the company. I just happen to be the one delivering it. But the scope of work says you're going to get this fiduciary advice and we're going to deliver it to you, right? Um, and then you've got agents. Agents are insurance agents. Like they're literally called agents. So they're an agent of an insurance firm or insurance broker. They represent the broker. So what you've seen there and all three of those, the investment advisor representative, the registered representative and the agent, they all represent the company. Now, anybody who's ever bought a house, you get a real estate agent, right? Mm -hmm. And the real estate agent's not allowed to represent both sides of the deal, right? Right. Same thing in our industry. You can only represent one side of the deal. You can't represent the firm you work for and the client at the same time. How could you possibly do that? That'd be a major comment. Who, who do you err on the side of benefiting then? Right? Right. So most people think that they've hired a fiduciary and the fiduciary is their advisor. So the advisor shows up, whatever that advisor says, you know, must be being provided to them in their best interest because they're a fiduciary and therefore they're obligated by law to only operate in their best interest. Right. Really what you've hired is a representative of a firm that has some fiduciary services and the fiduciary services that you hired are buried in that packet of contract that you got, or they don't call it a contract because that's a dirty word that the, the client agreement that you got, it's buried in there and, it, and it'll have a very limiting language built in there um, that says, we'll be a fiduciary for just this thing over here and all the rest of this, we're not fiduciary. And we have no ongoing fiduciary responsibility other than to make sure essentially nobody steals your money, right? Or, or very limited things. Um, and then most of the compliance structure of those companies is to make sure that they don't have any liability for anything else that their advisor tells you. <laughs> outside of the scope of that agreement, right? Right. So, so the challenging part for anybody is that you, you have to understand a lot of, when you're hiring an advisor, you have to understand a lot of legal stuff because you got to be able to read that contract and understand the scope of the arrangement to figure out, okay, this person says they're a fiduciary. Well, they're not. They represent a fiduciary. And then by representing a fiduciary, here's the limitations of what they're allowed to do on behalf of that fiduciary, which is buried in the contract. You're not going to see a contract coming from one of those firms that says, we have open-ended fiduciary responsibility for everything that we tell you. In fact, very few firms, we do it differently. In our, in our agreements, it's an open-ended agreement. You sign, uh, if you're doing financial planning with us, you sign a, an open-ended agreement for the year. All the work that we do with you within that year is all done under the same fiduciary standard. There's never a start and a finish. It never stops. Most firms, and this is you'll, you'll recognize this by the pricing, 
if they do charge you for financial plan, pricing, they'll say, hey, we're going to charge you five grand for a financial plan. You pay half up front and half when we deliver it. So what happens over two months is they produce about that much paper. They put in a fancy binder. It looks really nice. And for about five grand, you get this binder and it's your financial plan. And then you pay them the other 2,500. Their fiduciary responsibility stopped there. Literally stopped there. It started in a stop now. And the reason why that happens, now they can go and they can start selling you other services. Because they can't sell you the other services as a fiduciary without picking up liability for selling you services that maybe you could have got better someplace else or you didn't need. So they can't sell you insurance, can't sell you annuities, they can't sell you investments until they finish being a fiduciary. So they can say, okay, we're no longer worried about whether or not this is the perfect solution for your financial plan. That engagement's over. Now let's talk about whether or not you should buy investments. And so versus our firm and firms like us that have just this open-ended engagement that never ends. You sign a contract that says from, from now until 12 months from now, everything we tell you is under a fiduciary standard. And that is where it comes into the language of those contracts. So if you're a client out there or a prospect out there and you're Googling fiduciary and you're looking for somebody to help you, it's not even the advisor. You, you, you should like your advisor, right? Or at least be able to tolerate them. You should right. say, hey, this is somebody I like listening to and they help me understand things and they, they're empathetic and they, you know, they really connect with me. But that's half of it. The other half of it is, is, okay, but are they obligated as much as I like them? Are they obligated to always take care of me first and foremost? Or are there limitations on the scope of their responsibility and therefore liability? And do I need to be concerned about that? But that is buried in the contracts. Well, and to bring it full circle to how we started this segment saying, why would you want to seek guidance from a financial professional? to help you make sense of the things that don't make sense, but to also find opportunities for you to save money, save taxes, and make good decisions with your money. If you find yourself in a relationship you know, with somebody, you also want to be empowered enough to understand, are they a fiduciary? And if something is being recommended to you, how you can determine very quickly, is this the best way of doing something and asking questions? If you're working with a financial professional and they're offering you something like life insurance or an annuity, it is a fair responsibility as you as a consumer to say, well, how are you paid whether I do this or not? Put them on the hot seat because if somebody is going to stand by a particular product or service, then they should be working as a fiduciary in your best interest to come up with, could some of those things be appropriate at times? Absolutely. But you want to make sure you understand why, what, what gap is this filling? But there are a lot of people out there that work with a professional that makes a lot of money off of them by offering services that the individual doesn't quite understand because this isn't what they do. And they're charismatic enough to spin it in such a way that makes it sound like it's in their best interest. It may not be unlawful. Nobody is saying that this is a legal activity, but it is saying that you don't know how to ask certain questions to understand, was there a potential better way of doing something that could have saved me money, time, or been a better quality investments? That's what we are trying to get in this entire podcast of Ditch the Suits, to empower you as a consumer to ask great questions. Because again, you could build the greatest plan, but sabotage yourself along the way by doing things that sound good. But do things that are great. Don't right. settle for good. Do things that are great. So a fiduciary is somebody that should be working in your best interest at all times to understand if that's what you're looking for, that should be the bar that you should be looking for. Somebody that is obligated to work in your best interests. 
So episode one was laying the groundwork for what Ditch the Suits means. We shared a little bit of our journey and how we got to where we are today. We've even given you some things to think about uh, if you are in the process of trying to find the right financial partner to help you steward your dreams, or maybe you find yourself in a precarious situation where you feel like something may not be as it seems, but you don't really know how to determine whether your, your hunch is correct. We've given you some things to think about. Now we want to let you know why you should consider liking and subscribing and, and paying attention to this podcast for future content. So Travis, beyond today, why don't you let people know where we're heading and what they can expect if they choose to follow this podcast? Well, this is everything that we're talking about is real world experience, mm-hmm. right? So we're going to talk about things that, um, you know, without giving away any anything private, basically, uh, regarding situations, uh, real things that, that real people are dealing with. Um, from all different walks of life, from a standpoint of how they approach their finances. And we're going to start from, we call them higher net wealth or higher net worth. Those are people with like over a million dollars, right? So um, people who have, let's say somewhere between a million and $20 million tend to be the the size of the client that we're working with in that category. Um, whether they own a business or whether they've just got a pile of money that they've saved up or inherited or whatnot. We're going to help you understand some of the stuff that, that those types of folks are dealing with. And if you can understand what some of those types of folks are dealing with, you can take those lessons and, and you can set yourself up so that you can have that kind of wealth, but not have some of those mistakes. It's, it's hard to steer the Titanic, right? They always say, you know, it's hard to get a big ship to turn. Right. So if you're, if you're trying to accumulate wealth and trying to build up, learn what, from what people who have wealth are kind of dealing with, uh, number one. And number two, if you have wealth and uh, you're trying to make the most out of it, um, you know, learn from the mistakes of others. But also, we're going to bring you a perspective that's different, partly because we're in that field, right? We're literally dealing with clients. I work with 100 some odd, 120 some odd clients, right? So we're going to actually, we, we are in the trenches, if you will. Um, working on this stuff. Uh, we are in the industry and the profession. So I can explain to you the things that we see happening within the industry and the profession from, from our perspective. So you, in, in a way that you as a, as a consumer can understand. So you could take that back and do with it as you will, but it will empower you to, like you said earlier, ask the right questions. The other thing though, too, some of the people who have accumulated the most wealth have done through, through um, small businesses, right? Whether they started a small business, took over a family small business, or were an executive, maybe in a bigger corporation, but they were they were in that authority type of role where they're kind of running the show day to day, if you will. Um, there's an awful lot of things to learn from them and the way that those folks appro- approach money um, and family and some of the complex dynamics. It doesn't really matter if you're an executive or running a business or have a pile of money. Uh, there's things with your estate that you need to be considering that most of the time you're just in too much of a hurry to really think about. So how do you put it in perspective? How do you tackle it? Right. And how do you do it in a way that you're not, you know, losing your shirt and fees to try to get help? I've seen people paying a hundred thousand dollars a year, um, with $10 million for financial advice. And they say, I'm like, what do you get for a hundred thousand dollars a year? And they're like, well, you know, I'm really good friends with my broker. It's like, for a hundred, I'll be your friend for a hundred thousand dollars a year. I'm cool with that. Sign me up. 
you know, I'll give you whatever advice you want to hear if that's if that's what it takes. Right. You know, I'm joking. I'm joking, obviously, but but that's that's how silly it kind of is, right? So we want to help people put into perspective that engagement between them and a financial advisor, and to learn what other people who are really getting a hold of this, what those folks are doing, right? The things that they're ch- challenged with and how they might address some of those situations. Um, we want to bring that to, to everyday people. So I think it's one of those things. I wanted to write a book called um, You're Being Robbed and We Know It. And some people told me that was a little bit too risque. So this is maybe- It was, it was, this prob- is, it was probably me. This is maybe a nicer way to help people. Look, let's keep more money in your pocket. You know, mm-hmm. like, and, and, and you'll hear me say it all the time. It's your money. <laughs> you do with it what you want. Right. I just want to help you get more out of it. And when we talk about wealth, we're going to talk about wealth also, not just in dollars. Yep. Right. I think I think it's superficial to just talk about wealth as in dollars. We have wealth from our health uh, to our communities, to our children. Right. Wealth can be defined in a lot of different ways. So it's not just about our dollars, but it's about how our dollars relate to our concept of wealth. So even if you say, well, money's just not that important to me. I love my kids more than anything. Okay. So what does what's the relationship between your kids and money or what will be the relationship between your kids and money when they someday they have the money that you have? Right. So it's not about whether or not you you you, you feel greedy or or you feel like um, I see that because I've had clients before that are like I'm not worried about how much money I have, right? So it's not about worrying about how much money you have and the the, the complex feelings that come with that. It's about understanding in re, in in respect to everything else going on around you what that pile of money actually does. Right. And that's where you can learn a lot from business owners. You can learn a lot from people who are in that socioeconomic level who are seeking help to try to tackle some of those challenges. Right. So what should you know before you need to know it essentially is what we're going to be doing. We're going to be bringing that to people. So and we're going to try to do it in a way that's chewable. Right. That, that you can actually it's practical. You can actually go, oh, OK, that makes sense to me. Right. Not in a way that's, hey, this is my opinion, because hopefully, you know it'll benefit me in some way. Well, and I think one of the big takeaways for somebody that may be listening to this that we want to help really help you understand is that you're not alone. Um, I I think we're going to try to share some real world stories of what we are helping our clients through because it might add some context that if you're driving in your car, you're at home or you're working and you listen to this and you go, huh, I didn't know that other people are struggling how to have a conversation with my spouse about money or my kids about money. Uh, I've kind of always had this sense that something's not right, but I, I don't know enough how to ask how to get help or what to ask. Our hope is that every time you listen to this podcast, you first of all, feel empowered, uh, but two, that you have some accountability uh, to know that we want to give you valuable insights that take it back to the person you work with. And and if what we can give you is something that helps you, then as Travis and I have said, we got into this business to help people. Um, I think sometimes too, with people, when they come to us, they're uh, potentially afraid of leaving the person that they work with because they don't want to hurt their feelings. Or as you said, it's been a friend. Uh, I can totally understand that and how that works, but we are here to give you things to think about that we don't know you from the next person. If we're sharing things that resonate with you that you said, you know what, that that is what I've been feeling, 
then we want you to be educated enough to know uh, when it's time to maybe get help in a different way or to enhance the relationship that you're currently in. So we want to give you questions to think about, thoughts to consider, uh, because the whole concept of this is it's your money, it's your life. Do great things, right? Get the information you need that can not only help you, but your family, generations, people, and avoid making costly mistakes along the way. So thanks for bearing with us as we laid the foundation for this. I'm excited for this podcast partner. I think I'm excited to help the people that we're going to help that like and subscribe and share our message. And so you know, we appreciate everybody tuning into episode one. And here's a, here's a cheers to what's to come. Thanks for listening. Ready to ditch the suits? Remember, it's your money and your life. For more information, visit seedpg.com. That's seedpg.com. If this podcast has impacted you, we ask that you subscribe or follow so you never miss an episode. And be sure to share with a friend.